Alrighty, well, good morning, everyone. Um, yeah, like mentioned, my name is Joel, and I'm get to the privilege to be one of the pastors here. And um, I just wanted to take a moment just to honour Andrew and just to thank him, um, really, for the way he's been leading us over the last number of weeks. Um, you know, I've been on staff for now, I think, six and a half years. And uh, that whole time, Andrew's been here and he's been very much been an encourager and a mentor for me. And, uh, you know, I thought I knew him pretty well. And then over the last couple of months, I've just seen him step up in, in such a new way and really um, lead our church, not just uh, with our services and preaching, but also just pastorally caring for a lot of people, um, dropping off little gifts, um, calling people, being a leader in our leadership team and, and really driving things there. And so, um, Andrew, thanks so much for the way that you've been uh, leading us, leading me and, and just being our pastor. Um, really grateful for all that you are to us. Um, like Andrew mentioned, we are wrapping up this series. We are finishing in John 15 where Jesus says, I am the true vine. Um, we've looked at how he's the bread of life, the light of the world, the good shepherd, the door for the sheep, the resurrection and the life, the way, the truth and the life. And now we see this final invitation where Jesus really invites his disciples to connect with him, to stay connected, to bear fruit and to be the people that God has called us to be. So if you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to turn to John 15 and to listen and engage actively this morning, to take notes, to um, maybe in the comments, if there's things that stand out, maybe share those with each other. Um, talk to the people around you afterwards. Really engage with what God has to say to us this morning. So John 15, we're going to read the first 11 verses. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples and he says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. But if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. So abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. So here we get the final I am statement of this series where Jesus says, I am the true vine, which, um, which when you think about it, it sounds, it sounds a little strange, uh, especially using the, um, the word true. Why does it say I am the true vine? It sort of implies that there's a, a false vine or there's a vine that's not quite right. And 
When you understand the context, you might understand a little bit of why Jesus says this. You see, in the Old Testament, numerous times uh, we see Israel referred to as a vineyard. We see it in Isaiah 5, Psalm 80, Jeremiah 2, where uh, God's word refers to Israel, his chosen people, as a vineyard. They were people who were chosen and called to be God's people. And yet these verses always have a negative connotation of how they have not borne fruit, how they have not done what they're supposed to do. And so they're going to be uprooted. They're going to be um, judged and destroyed. But we also see in Isaiah 27, we see almost like the dream of what the vineyard was meant to be. We see this future vision where it says this, in that day, it's talking about a future day, a pleasant vineyard. I will sing of it. I, the Lord, am its keeper. Every moment I shall water it, and lest anyone punish it, I'll keep it day and night. In the days to come, Jacob shall take root, Israel shall blossom and put forth shoots and fill the whole world with fruit. See, this was the future vision. This is what God was intending, that there would be a true vine, that there would be a people who bear fruit and fill the whole world. And so once again, with these statements, Jesus is not just picking out a nice metaphor that he thinks, hey, this would be a really good sermon illustration. I'm going to put that one in my talk this week. No, he's, it's, it's, it's intentional language where Jesus is, is saying, like, I am the fulfillment of all of this. All of this stuff in the Old Testament, all that the prophets said is leading to him. And it's now through him, the true vine, that we as his followers can be the people that God has intended us to be. It is only through him. He is the, the new and the better Adam, the new and the better Israel. He is the one through whom we can bear fruit to fill the whole world. And so what I love about this passage is that unlike some of the other statements, you know, when we talked about the bread of life, there was all these sort of theological discussions around that. Uh, this passage doesn't have that. All it has is these practical implications. Jesus said, I'm the true vine, therefore this is what it means for your lives. And so we're going to look at that. We're going to look at what the path forward is for us. And uh, it's easy as one, two, three, A, B, C. All right. So make sure three points, A, B, C, make sure you remember them. Maybe give someone a call afterwards, see, give them a test, see if they know each one. And uh, we're going to see what Jesus has to say for us and our lives moving forward. So the first thing, if Jesus is a true vine, what does that mean for us? Number one, it means we abide in him. We see this all throughout the passage. Abide, abide, abide. In fact, nine times in our short verses, nine times Jesus says, abide in me, abide in my word, abide in my love. Some translations use the word remain. Um, the original word can also be translated to stay or to dwell. So what Jesus isn't saying is, Let's go for a quick 10-minute exercise a few times a week. This is not meant to be a quick experience that we just do occasionally. That's not the kind of exercise that gets you into the shape to fill the whole world with fruit. You see, too often I think we treat our relationship with Jesus uh, like the old drive through at Macca's. We look at the menu, we pick something that we want, like, you know, I need some peace today or I wouldn't mind some joy. And we race through as quick as we can. 
We hardly look at the person who's serving us and we just want it to be over and done as quick as we can. We want to get what we want, feel like we're satisfied for a moment, but really there's nothing in that that sustains us for the long term. There's nothing in that which deeply changes us. See, Jesus is saying this is the opposite of that. This is not about driving through. This is about a dine-in experience where we get a chance to sit down at the table with the King of Kings, the Great I Am, the Bread of Life, Light of the World, the Good Shepherd, like all these things we've been talking about. Jesus says, you get to dine at the table with me. You get to dwell with me. And, and the thing is, that's how we're changed. It says in 2 Corinthians 3.18 that we are transformed by beholding the glory of God. By beholding, it's not this quick glance and like, oh, look, there it is, and that's enough. Like, no, it's this beholding. It's taking time to actually observe and to reflect, to dine at the table. Do you know what I would give at this moment to, you know, sit at an aesthetically pleasing cafe, to have a latte, probably a smashed avo. Uh, ideally, Joe would be sitting opposite me. And man, I would give anything for a moment like that. And I'll tell you what, I would not rush it. I wouldn't be done in 10 minutes and going, okay, cool. I've had my coffee and I'm done. Like, I'm going to sit and enjoy that moment because there's something special there. There's something great there. And I don't want to just move on. That for me is the picture of Jesus saying, abide in me. We're invited to sit at the table. We're invited to dwell with him, the king of kings. And when you look at it that way, like you'd never want to rush that. You'd never want to rush a, a dining experience with the greatest person in the universe. Like you would want to enjoy that. You'd listen. You'd ask questions. You would look to honor that person by dwelling in that moment. So abiding with Jesus, it's about dwelling with God. So what does that look like? Does it mean we just read our Bibles all day or that we you know, are on our knees praying constantly or that we have worship music on the back, in the background everywhere we go? Like, What does that actually look like? I'm really glad you asked because I want to talk about that. Because, and the thing is, I don't want to focus on the practices. The practices will look different for everyone, but I want to focus just for a moment on the presence, the presence of God. And just ask yourself, are you aware of God's presence each and every day? Do you look to pay attention? Do you seek to listen? Are you eager to speak to him? You know, there are a bunch of practices that can help you do that. But you can also do these practices and miss the presence. Like you can read your Bible and not actually engage with God as you do it. See, abiding with him is me. For me, it it means living with this daily awareness of God because he dwells with us and we can dwell with him so what does that look like for you in your life to abide with him to dwell with him to spend time with him to be aware of his presence each and every day now I used to always think that this was a matter of busyness and time in fact I looked over my notes I preached on this passage four years ago And I looked on my notes and there was this whole section on business and trying to carve out time with God. 
And yet here I am, and it's, I know this is not the case for everyone, but I've found myself with a lot of extra time over the last couple of weeks. And yet I still struggle to abide with God. What I've realised as I've reflected on my own life is that this is not about time or busyness, but this is about our hearts. The reality is, as John Calvin says, like our hearts are idol factories and they just keep pumping out other things. We keep finding something else that is more important. And we are bent towards independence and autonomy and doing our own thing. See, this is more than reordering our schedules. It's more than making time for God. This is about the renovation of our hearts. And that starts, as we talked about before, about a revelation of God and repenting unto him. And so really our prayer has been right from the start of this series is that we would see Jesus, that we would be, you know, would know him more because as we fix our eyes on him, as we behold him, we are transformed like him. So my prayer is that we would seek him, that we would allow his spirit to change us and that we would abide with him. There is nothing, there is nothing more important for us than to dwell with the Most High God. Tim Wu puts it this way in The Attention Merchants. He says, When we reach the end of our days, our life experience will equal what we have paid attention to, whether by choice or default. Our life experience will equal what we have paid attention to. And the reality is in our world, it's just easy just to go along with the flow. Mark Sayers says that our age is rigged to steal our time. And if you've noticed over the last couple of weeks, maybe that's become more clear. Whether you're really busy with the kids at home, your time just flies by. Or whether you've got all this extra time, you just find that your time still just flies by. You get lazy, you do other things. And yet... God is saying, if you just pay some attention to my presence, if you just look, if you just stop and still and be with me, we could behold the glory of God. We could be transformed and become more like him. So think back to your last week, or maybe even better yet, think, think forward to the week ahead. How will you be aware of God's presence this week? You know, Monday morning, when you wake up, what would it look like for you to pay attention to him? Or on Wednesday, lunchtime, what would it look like for you to be aware that God is with you in that moment? Or Friday night, what does it look like for you to be connected to the vine at that point of time? See, I believe this is the most important venture of our lives. We have a chance to abide with the true vine, the great I am, the king of kings. May we dwell with him. And the beauty of dwelling with him, of abiding in Christ, is that it's not just for our own benefit. And though the passage does talk about how we experience love and joy, the passage makes it really clear that our abiding in Christ means we bear fruit for the Father's glory. And so that's the second thing I want to look at. A, abiding with Christ. B, bearing fruit. Think back to that verse in Isaiah where it was about filling the whole world with fruit. This happens as we abide in him. And we see in verse 5, Jesus makes it really clear. He says, like, there's no other way to do it. He says, apart from me, you can do nothing. 
which is a pretty radical message for us to hear because our world tells us the opposite. We get told you can do whatever you want. Set your mind to it, go for it. If you just work hard enough, if you hustle, you can get what you want. And in fact, you probably deserve that, so go for it. Where Jesus says, no, 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 Like apart from me, you can do nothing. And when you think about you know, the context of these verses, when you look at some of the chapters around it, look at chapter 14, 15, and 16. It's like, it's like the huddle before the, the big game. Jesus has got his disciples in. They've been training for years, and he's got this last chance to sort of inspire them and to spur them on before he is arrested and then crucified. And he says some incredible things. He says that they're going to receive the Spirit. He says that they are going to do greater things than what he did. He says that they're going to bear fruit. Like this is an ordinary group of men. And yet Jesus says they are going to do extraordinary things. But only by abiding in Christ. They're not going to do it apart from him. And, you know, the message is, I believe, exact same for us. Like we will bear fruit. You will bear fruit. But it's not going to happen by yourself. It's not something you can muster up. It's something that flows out of abiding with him. For apart from him, we can do nothing. You know, during the week, I was reading about Hudson Taylor, who was a missionary in the late 1800s, probably one of the most famous and effective missionaries of history. He began, uh, he was one of like a few dozen missionaries that made their way to China. And he worked tirelessly and really radically to spread the gospel. He did things that other people weren't doing and it helped pave the way for really thousands of people to follow him into China where they sowed seeds of the gospel and now, you know, China, one of the fastest growing Christian populations in the world. Hudson Taylor, he took on this incredible, really near impossible task. And, you know, he did it for 51 years. 51 years he was in a foreign country spreading the gospel in the face of opposition, of political barriers, of different challenges, financial hardship, health struggles. And yet he bore much fruit. Some people say thousands of people came to know Christ because of him. He bore much fruit because he abided with God. This is what his son wrote about him. And if you know anything about Christian, mission, Christian ministry, you know that your family has the best view of you know, your private life and what you're really like. This is what his son wrote about him. He was a man almost 60 years of age, bearing tremendous burdens, yet absolutely calm and untroubled. Oh, the pile of letters. You know, all these people were writing letters to him. All the missionaries that he'd sent out, they wrote letters to him, any of which might contain news of death or lack of funds, of riots or serious trouble. Yet all were open, read and answered with the same tranquility. Christ, his reason for peace and his power for calm. Dwelling in Christ, he drew upon his very being and resources. And he did this by an attitude of faith, as simple as it was continuous. Yet he was delightfully free and natural. I could find no other words to describe it save the scriptural expression in God. He was in God all the time and God in him. It was the true abiding of John 15. 
love that. Like what a beautiful description of a man who was in God, who drew upon his very being and resources. And, you know, what I love is it wasn't this grand, you know, spectacular thing every day. It was as simple as it was continuous, just each and every day, faithfully abiding in Christ. Now, we might not all have ministries like Hudson Taylor, though some of you listening may. Um, We might not all be, you know, called off to China. Some of us might just have to be looking after the kids at home or working at Coles or working in the city or going to school or being in that university or wherever we're called. The call is the same. Jesus says, bear fruit. That's the same for Hudson Taylor as it is for me, as it is for you. We are called to bear fruit by abiding in Christ. So what is this fruit? Well, we know from very simple illustrations of trees and fruit, which I don't love so much, but I know that nothing of the tree needs fruit. Like the tree itself does not need its own fruit. The fruit is produced for others, for us to uh, endure or to enjoy. And it is for the growth of more trees. You know, there's seeds inside that then produce more trees. But the tree itself does not need its own fruit. It's always for others. And so that is the image that Jesus says and what the other Bible, biblical writers use. When Paul talks about the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5, that is not just stuff for you. Like that is not so you might have love or joy or peace or patience, but really that other people would benefit from those things. As you become more joyful and more peaceful, other people benefit from that fruit. Or when Jesus in Matthew talks about the fruit of good works, once again, they're not for you. That's for other people. That's for God's glory and that's for God's kingdom. Just like in the parable of the sower where it talks about the fruit or the harvest of new believers. Once again, this is not something for us, but it's for God's glory, for his kingdom to be advanced. So fruit is not about you. It's about God. It's about his kingdom. And so you need to ask We need to ask ourselves, are we bearing fruit? Are you bearing fruit? And this is not just for the super Christians. This is not just for the people who are on staff or who, you know, go overseas. But this is for every one of us. Is the fruit of the Spirit being developed in our life? Are there good works flowing and growing in us? Are we seeing seeds of the gospel being sown and and new believers rising up? These are challenging questions for me to wrestle with this week. You know, and what do you do if there's no fruit? You know, I think that's an important thing to look at. What, what do you do if there's, if there's no fruit? Does that mean that you're not a Christian anymore? Well, you need to go back to the first step. Are you abiding in Christ? Because Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. If you want to bear fruit, you must abide in me. And if you are abiding in Christ, if you are living with him, then you just need to trust that it might take some time. It might look like nothing is happening. You know, it might look like when you go to this patch of dirt and you go, oh, it looks like there's nothing growing there, but maybe it's just a matter of time. Maybe God is going to produce something later on. Or maybe, like this passage says, maybe it's a time of pruning. Maybe it's this time of hardship, of waiting and holding on so that, like Hebrews 12 says, that, 
you know, this time of, of waiting, of this time of discipline, it is not pleasant. It's actually kind of painful, but there's fruit later on. And that's really, I think, the challenge and the confronting part of this passage is that it isn't easy. You know, the branches that don't bear fruit get cut away. The branches that do bear fruit, well, guess what? They get cut too. They get cut back and pruned. Every single branch gets cut, which is not super pleasant. But Jesus says, you know, this is a narrow road. Few find it, but it leads to life. So hold on. Keep trusting in him. Trust that the vine will produce fruit. Trust that the vine dresser knows what he's doing. Stay connected to him. And there'll be fruit in his time and in his way. The other thing I think we need to take heed of, if there's no fruit growing in our lives, maybe it's a matter of time, but also maybe it's a matter of disobedience. Maybe you're holding back. Maybe you're not following God as we should. You know, our responsibility isn't the outcome, but it is the obedience. We need to be working to make sure that we are um, abiding in Christ. And as Jesus says here in our passage that, well, if you love me, you'll do what I command. Like they go hand in hand. So if we're really abiding, if we're really loving Jesus, we'll be obeying what he does. And I think that's an important thing for us to consider as well. So we're called to abide in Christ, the true vine. We're called to bear fruit. But last, we were also invited to call upon him because we've been chosen. You know, in this section of John 14, 15 and 16, one of the things that we see repeated numerous times is Jesus says, you can ask for whatever you want. And um, a part of me, I was like, oh, I don't know if I want to get into that because I don't know if we have time. But I think it's, it's so repeated. It's so key that we need to touch on it. Now, Jesus says, ask whatever you want. But whenever he says it, there's always a bit of a, a qualifier. It's never just as simple as, you know, you can ask for whatever you want. In John 14, verse 13, it says, Ask whatever it is in my name. This I will do, that my Father will be glorified. He says, ask in my name. Now, that doesn't mean we just tack on Jesus' name at the end of each of our prayers. That means that we are aligning ourselves with Jesus' name, with his character, that almost in a way, he would pray what we pray. That's what it looks like for us to be aligning ourselves with Jesus, to be praying in his name. So we don't necessarily just ask for whatever we want and say, you know what, I'm going to pray for that new sports car. No, we pray in the name of Jesus. We trust his will, we trust his way, we trust his power, and we pray in line with him. But also in our passage, it says, you know, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever it is you wish in verse seven. And, you know, we, there's heaps of other verses. We don't have time to go into all of it. But really, it's just this sense that, you know, if we're abiding in God. If we're in his word, that'll change what we pray, that'll change the things that we want and desire because we want to see God glorified. We want to see him uh, his kingdom advanced. We want to bear fruit for his glory. And so he is the one. It changes what we wish. It changes what we ask. But, you know, as I was reading this and, you know, thinking of that sort of huddle imagery and thinking, why, why does Jesus constantly say this? Why does he constantly say, you know, ask whatever it is that you wish to his disciples? Well, I think really simply, he's wanting us to ask. 
you know, he's, he's not a genie. He's not going to grant all of our wishes, but he is a good shepherd. He is a good father. He is someone who will hear and who will answer in his wisdom and in his way. And as it says in chapter 15, verse 16, it says, You did not choose me, but I chose you. And I appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should last so that whatever it is you ask in my name, he may give it to you. We see all three things come together. Jesus says, I've chosen you. You're the ones I've picked. I've died for you. My spirit lives in you. And you are the ones who have been chosen and appointed to abide in me, to bear fruit and to call upon me. And it's not like we approach him like a spoiled brat going, you know, give me, give me, give me. But we approach him like a child who knows the love of the father. We approach him like we know what the father's business is all about. Like we see just in verse 14 and 15, he says, like, I haven't called you. Like, I've called you friends because you know what the master's business is about. You know what this kingdom is about. I've let you in. I've sort of said, this is how we're going to go about it. And Jesus says, ask. He trusts his children to carry on this mission. Because he's put his spirit in us. He's called us to abide in him, to bear fruit, to call upon him. And what a privilege that we can then approach God, not with fear, not with timidity, but we can be confident before the throne of God. We can be confident as a child before a loving father. So what does it look like for you this week to really call upon the name of God, to really cry out and ask for his will to be done, to ask what's on your heart and to let him use you and transform you in that space? Now, there's a, there's a lot of things in this passage that I'd love to spend time on, you know, where Jesus says, you know, this is all for the Father's glory and then he starts talking about love and that's a whole another preaching series in itself. But I want to wrap up with verse 11, where Jesus reminds us and he focuses us on joy. He says, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full, that it may be complete. You know, this has been an interesting journey for me over the last few weeks, you know. For a moment there, you know, as the introvert, I was kind of loving it. I had a lot of time to myself. I was in my books. I was... And then I found myself drifting from God and I found myself actually like really grumpy, really down. And yet over just even the last week, I've turned back to God and I've really tried to seek him. And it's hard to explain, but there's been this joy that's bubbled up again. And I just want to encourage us that there is joy in Jesus. He says that my joy would be in you, that your joy would be complete, like not just a little bit, not just, you know, occasionally, but would have a complete joy that bubbles up, that overflows, and that becomes, I guess, a definition of our life. So we don't just abide in Jesus because, you know, it's the right thing. But, you know, what if we saw that abiding with Jesus meant that's the most joyful thing we could do? That's the most happiness could be found is in him. This is how David writes it in Psalm 16. And this is where we want to we wrap up this morning. 
David says, I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. You know, I've set the Lord always before me. Like he's the one I'm looking to. He's the one I'm abiding in. And because he's there, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. And my flesh also dwells secure. Why? Because you will not abandon my soul to the depths, to Sheol. You will not let your Holy One see corruption. He says this, You have made known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. I believe over the last few weeks that's what's really happened over this preaching series, and I pray it's what's been communicated and what you've heard, is that Jesus has made known to us the path of life. And he simply says, I am. It's me. In his presence, there is fullness of joy. And he is the true vine. He invites us and he welcomes us and he says, abide in me. Bear fruit. Call upon me. And at his right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. Amen. And we're going to wrap up a little differently this morning. Um, Roxanne has actually written a song based on the I am statements in John. Uh, She's got all seven into a poetically beautiful song. And so we've asked her to record it and to send it in. And she's going to she's going to play that for us. And I want to encourage you not just to spectate in this moment, not just to listen, but you'd actually use this time as space to to connect with Jesus, to reflect on the words, how he's the I am, the bread of life, the light of the world. The good shepherd, the door for the sheep, the way, the truth and the life, the vine, the resurrection and the life. And that as you listen, you could do as the words say, that you can be still and know that I am God and that I am who I am. So take this time just to reflect on how great Jesus is.